going to start with a little story. A little boy was drowning in the ocean, and a, a lifeguard swam out to save him. Thus, the inner tube here from VBS last year, left over. And back at the beach, the boy said, Thanks for saving my life, mister. And the man responded, Make sure that your life was worth saving. And I was thinking, what was this lifeguard saying? Son, you are going to die today. You are on borrowed time. You need to live every day in light of the fact that you have been rescued. And as we go through this Easter sermon series, we are considering what it looks like to live a life transformed by the cross. And I want to encourage you, live every day in light of the fact that you have been rescued. We are the rescued ones. You can turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and I've titled the sermon today, The Ministry of Hope. So we'll be looking at 2 Corinthians 4 verses 1 through 6. In our text, we see that a life transformed by the glory of Jesus and his cross fills a believer's heart with hope. And sets him on mission to candidly share that hope with others. I love the word candidly there. You think it's not a spiritual word, but it is a very spiritual word. Godly people are candid. They tell the truth. Our gaze is not focused on temporal things and earthly problems, but rather we are looking to our Savior, to his cross, and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So we're changed by glory, we're filled with hope, and we are on mission to share that hope with others. Kellen shared from 2 Corinthians chapter 3 last week, and he hit one of John Piper's favorite verses, verse 18, one I love as well. It says, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And if you're, if you're a little frustrated by the pace of your progress, just understand it's from one degree to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So it is the glory of Christ that changes us. As we gaze upon the glory of Jesus, God transforms our lives and makes us more and more like Jesus. You want to add some caffeine to your sanctification. Gaze upon the glory of Jesus Christ. Remember Peter, he walked on the water and he did well as long as he kept looking to Jesus. As long as he kept beholding the glory of the Lord. So you will have hope and you will have something to give others as long as you are looking to Jesus. So we have this ministry of hope. 
Please stand for the reading of God's word. 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 6. Therefore, having this ministry, the ministry of hope, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But instead, we're motivated, we are driven, we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We renounce them. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. That sounds like candidly to me. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light. The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh Lord, what a glorious gospel. Illuminate our hearts this morning as we gaze upon the cross and as we gaze upon the face of Christ. May the darkness of despair and fear and unbelief leave this room and may it leave our hearts. Shine the light of Christ into our hearts that we might be filled with joy. That we may see glory so that our lives may be transformed, and so that we may effectively share the hope that we have with others. In Jesus' name, we all said, Amen. You may be seated. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1, when Paul says, we have this ministry, he is referring back to 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6 where he says that God has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, a better covenant, one that brings life. And when Paul refers to the new covenant, he's referring back to Jesus' words, and maybe before I go there, when he's talking about a new covenant, that's to contrast it with the old covenant. Law-keeping to blessing. Now Jesus has this new covenant and Paul's referring to Jesus talking about the new covenant in Luke 22, verse 20, where Jesus says, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. We often read that when we're doing communion. The new covenant was established by Christ. He said, it is a covenant in my blood. This covenant was enacted on the cross because of this covenant, because of this cross, we do not lose heart. We have hope. 
So number one, we have hope to enjoy and we have hope to give. We have hope to enjoy and we have hope to give. We have hope for ourselves. It's the joy of our salvation. Hope knowing that God has this wonderful, loving family and we are in. We also have hope for others that they can get in too. Yes, it took the cross. This covenant required blood. It required the blood sacrifice of Jesus himself to pay the price for our sins. Because God has rules. And because we have broken those rules, therefore, we deserve punishment. You commit the crime, you do the time. Unless, unless someone else steps in to take your punishment, to pay your fine, to do your community service. Our only hope was that someone else would take our punishment. Law-keeping just wasn't working for us. We kept messing up. Christ had to keep the law for us. Christ had to be the sacrifice for our sin. It took the cross. To enact this new covenant, this new agreement between God and man. And the agreement is this. There's your part and there's God's part. If you believe on Jesus Christ, God will forgive you. You believe, God forgives. That's the deal, the agreement, the covenant. If you believe that Jesus, God's son, died for your sins and rose from the dead, then you will be saved. You will not have to endure the just punishment for your sin. And it is a just punishment. In no way am I saying that we don't deserve this punishment, because we do. Every one of us. The cross is our hope because that is the location where Jesus stepped in between God's wrath and my person. The punishment falls on him. I go free. That is the good news and that is our hope. Now, if you're a Christian here today, you have been given the ministry of hope. Like Philip introducing Nathaniel to the Messiah, you too have this hope, this joy of bringing people to Jesus. Now, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 was not written to you, but it was written for you. Because it's our marching orders so that we can be part of God's efforts to rescue you. God has given us this ministry that we might share with you the hope of eternal life through the cross of Christ. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 1, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. It's the mercy of God. We don't deserve this honor. 
I don't deserve the joy, the privilege of being able to share God's word with you this morning. It's God's mercy. We do not lose heart. We don't despair. Why? Because of the cross. And if you're here today and you'd say, John, I don't have hope. I have lost heart. I am despairing. Why is that? If you're not a Christian, it's because you need Jesus. If you are a Christian, it's because you need Jesus. You are despairing because your attention is not on the cross. You are out on the stormy sea of Galilee. Like Peter, you've turned your gaze away from Jesus. You're looking at the waves and you are sinking. Can I get a volunteer? Anyone want to come up in here? Dan, you want to come up? Okay. Got Dan here. Good morning, Dan. I'm going to have you blow this balloon up for me. <laughs> I'm regretting this. <laughs> so go ahead and blow that up. Now, when Dan blows up the balloon, what is... Well, it doesn't have to pop in your face. So, it does not have to pop. No, 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 no. I would have gotten Scotty for that. <laughs> so as Dan's blowing up the balloon, what's he looking at? He's looking at the balloon. And as he looks, it gets bigger and bigger. Similarly, when you are focused on your problems, they seem to get bigger and bigger. And you can't see Jesus anymore because something is in the way. And now, Dan, I want you to let go of that balloon. Just let go of it. There we go. <laughs> now, when you turn your gaze off your circumstances, oh, thank you, Dan. <laughs> when you turn your gaze off your circumstances and onto Jesus, your problems deflate. They lose their power. They are put in the proper perspective. You realize that there is no problem in your life anywhere near as bad as your sin problem. And Jesus and his cross have dealt with that problem. Now your eyes are off your problem and they're on to Jesus. Remember, we are the rescued ones. Let's say that together. We are the rescued ones. And we live every day in light of that fact. Jesus has saved us. Jesus is coming back for us. So we do not lose heart. We have hope. God has filled us with hope so that we can have joy and so that we can give this hope to others. This is our calling as Christians. It is our ministry. And Christian, I am here to remind you of your hope. I am here to remind you of your ministry. It is your joy to share the hope of the cross with others. Now remember, you can't give what you do not have. A vending machine is worthless 
unless it's loaded up with snacks. If it's empty, it does not matter how much money you put in. Nothing is coming out. That machine needs the maintenance guy to come by with the key and fill it up. Similarly, you are a hope machine, and the maintenance guy is here. You're looking at him, and I have the key, 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 6. And Christian, is it okay if we fill you up with hope this morning? Now, for you who are not Christian, and you're here this morning, welcome. Now, you may be thinking, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. You have no hope after this life. You think you will go to dust. But what if there's a chance that what I'm saying is true? What if there's a chance that God could forgive all of your sins and grant you eternal life and bring you into his warm embrace? What if? Can I offer you hope this morning? Because you too are a hope machine, but you're not even plugged in. Can I plug you in to the source of hope? And can I fill you up this morning? Fill you up with hope from God's word. We have hope because we have a cross-centered, eternal perspective. And therefore, we turn away from the things of this world. Verse 2, but we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So Paul is commending himself. He's recommending himself. He's defending his ministry and his apostleship, as Pastor Tim and Kellen talked about. And here's another defense he makes. This is his argument. I tell the truth. Number two, hope dispensers candidly and honestly share God's word. We just put it out there. We have nothing to fear and nothing to hide because we are on the side of the truth. If you reject what we say, you're not rejecting us. You are rejecting God. We put the truth out there. You can take it or leave it. We are not like the Seventh-day Adventists who are hiding most of Ellen White's plagiarized books. We are not like the Latter-day Saints, who on one hand say the Book of Mormon is perfect in every letter, and yet on the other hand, they have made 3,913 changes to this supposedly perfect book. They have no maps, because none of the people, places, or events in the Book of Mormon ever happened. It is pure fiction. We are not like the Jehovah's Witnesses across the street who have made their own version of the Bible 
and have twisted the scriptures because they refuse to believe the clear teaching of the deity of Christ and the clear teaching of the triune God. Those are disgraceful and underhanded ways. They are not being honest. They are practicing cunning and trickery. They are tampering with God's word. I remember years ago when I was in junior high in Christian school, some of, my, uh, some of the kids in my class, they were using whiteout on the Bible to make it say funny things. They were so hilarious until I took them to Revelation 22, verses 18 through 19, where the Apostle John says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. So when you're reading the book, put away your whiteout and take out your highlighter. And Christians, sometimes you are so afraid to share the gospel. You're afraid that someone will come up with an argument that you're not ready for. And you'll look foolish. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 10, Paul says, we are fools for Christ. You know, it doesn't really matter that much if I look foolish. The song is not, lift high the name of John Hansen, but rather, lift high the name of Jesus. So if I look a little foolish every now and then, or even on the regular, who cares? My mission is not to make me look good, but to make him look good. Verse 5, for what we proclaim is not ourselves. There is no saving power in the name of John Hansen. We do not proclaim ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. You know, I'm a little hesitant to talk too much about me when I preach. Because I'm here to preach Christ. If at the end of this sermon you know John Hansen a little better, I don't really care. I want you to know him. We preach Christ as Lord. Now, for you unbelievers here today, that may sound incredibly arrogant, but it is the reality of life. Christ is Lord. He is the King. He rules and reigns over the universe. He created the world, and one day he will judge the world in righteousness. For you here today who are not believers in Christ, the greatest threat to your soul is not the devil. It's not yourself. It's not your sin. The greatest threat to your soul is Jesus. 
because it will be Jesus who judges you. And it will be Jesus who throws you body and soul into hell if you do not repent of your sin and put your faith in him. Jesus is Lord. He is the boss and he can do whatever he wants with his creation. He is the judge, but he is also the savior. Imagine you're on trial and the judge asks you, who will be defending you today? And you say, ah, well, I I couldn't really afford a lawyer. And the judge says, would you like me to defend you? How'd you like that? If your judge was also your defense attorney, good chance you're going to win that case. When you believe on Christ, he becomes your advocate, your defense attorney. If you put your confidence in him, he's going to get you off. That is the good news of the gospel. But sadly, many are blind and can't see the truth. Verse 3 And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Number three, rejected evangelists have hope because they understand the veiled gospel. When people refuse to listen to your gospel message, often it's not your fault. Now, I want to go back into verses 3 and 4 and break that down a little bit. It says, and even if our gospel is veiled. You know, Kellen talked about this a little bit last week, the veiled gospel. I know some, under some of your seats, we have veils out there, you know, and if you uh, get a rubber band, you can apply that very nicely so that the glory of Christ is not too overwhelming for the people around you. But Moses did this. He put a veil over his face because after he had been with God, there was glory shining on his face and people were like, oh, Moses, Moses, I can't handle that. And Paul uses this veil story about Moses to illustrate the blindness that keeps people from seeing the glory of the new covenant. The gospel is covered or it is veiled so that it can't be understood by them. Who is it veiled to? Paul says it is veiled to those who are perishing, to the unsaved who are headed to the lake of fire. In their case, the God of this world, the devil, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light. Satan has blinded them. And if they're blind, it doesn't matter how bright the sun is shining. They can't see the light. If they're blind, it doesn't matter 
how well, how how articulate your presentation of the gospel is. They can't see the light. They need a miracle because they can't see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Christ who is the image of God. He is the clearest revelation of God. So what if I share the gospel and they don't believe? That can be discouraging. Especially if you don't know why, you question yourself. Did I mess up? Is it my fault? And Paul says it's not. Satan, the small g god of this world, has blinded them. The second century Gnostics, they taught that an evil god had created the world and now controlled it. On the first part, because the scriptures say that a good god created the world, but they were kind of right on the second part. Because through the influence of an evil fallen angel, he has several names. We call him Lucifer, Satan, the devil. Paul calls him the small g God. Through Satan, the world has gone bad. And now Satan holds power over the world. And for you unbelievers here this morning, I said the devil is not your greatest threat. However, he is your greatest enemy. He is the God of this world. 1 John 5.19 says, The world lies in the power of the evil one. An unbeliever, you can't really say, I'm my own man. I'm in charge of my destiny. No, because you are under the power of the evil one. You are his man. And the only way for you to be set free from the tyranny of Satan and the destruction of your soul is to change alliances. You need a bigger, better boss. You need the only one who can conquer darkness. You need God to remove the veil. Wrong one. <laughs> to remove the veil. So you can see the light of Jesus. Verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Number four. Our hope is grounded in the illuminating glory of God that we see in the face of Christ. You look to the face of a person to see who they are and to see their disposition toward you. In the face of Jesus, we see love. We see the glory of a God who loves sinners. The glory of the God who loves us particularly. And I think that particular word is very important. It's not just that he loves all the little children of the world, but it is very important when we, when we bring that home and say, he loves me particularly. We look to Jesus and we see beauty. 
We see glory and acceptance on his face, and that gives us hope. Now, I want to break down verse 6 a little bit more. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, that's from alluding to Genesis 1 verse 3, where God said, let there be light, and bam, there was light. The God who did that has shown in our hearts. He's turned the lights on for us to give the light of the knowledge. Now, light is a metaphor for knowledge. You see that through the scriptures. Knowledge is illuminating. And God has filled our hearts and minds with knowledge. Knowledge of the glory of God. Now, how did he do that? How did he reveal himself to us? Paul says he did so in the face of Jesus Christ. A very beautiful way of referring to the incarnation. God becoming man. The glory of God is seen in Jesus. You want to know what God is like? Learn about Jesus. Because Jesus is the greatest revelation. He is the clearest picture that we have of who God is. Light is like knowledge. When you are in the darkness, you have no idea what might be creeping around in the dark. But when the light comes on, you know. And sometimes you say, turn it back off. God's glory is seen in Jesus Christ or in the face of Jesus. Adam was made in the image of God. So in a sense, his humanity reflected God's glory. But Jesus gives us a much clearer picture of God's glory. Hebrews 1 verse 3 Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, look at this, and the exact imprint of his nature. Simon Kistemacher says, and this quote is in your bulletin, so you don't have to write it down, God dispels darkness at both creation and recreation. He eliminates the darkness in the physical realm by means of the created sun and the darkness in the spiritual sphere through his uncreated son. Let me read that one more time. God dispels darkness at both creation, Genesis 1, and recreation, that's when someone gets saved, when someone goes from death to life, from darkness to light. He eliminates the darkness in the physical realm by means of the created son, by means of sunshine. He put his sun in the sky to light the world. And he eliminates the darkness in the spiritual sphere through his uncreated son, through Jesus, eternally God the Son. And perhaps the main reason or one of the main reasons that God created light was so that you and I would have a picture that would help us understand what happens spiritually when someone becomes a new believer in Christ. In Genesis 1, God said to his creation, let there be light, and there was light. He created the sun and the stars to shine in the heavens. Oh, unbeliever, my hope is that God would look upon your darkened soul and he would say those very same words, let there be light. 
and by the light and the glory of his Son, Jesus Christ, he may grant you knowledge to understand and to believe the gospel. When you stare through the scope of a gun, you see everything through the crosshairs. You aim that gun where you want the bullet to go. And today I am calling you to see life through the crosshairs. To see life through the lens of the cross. Because Jesus' death paid the price for your sin. Jesus' death is your life and your eternal hope. If you believe, the cross means you're in. Your sins are forgiven. Your shame is gone. You have eternal life. So take your eyes off the waves, off of your problems, and look to Jesus. See life through the crosshairs, because through the cross, we are the rescued ones. If you have a hard time with that, you can take this home with you. Just carry it around all day long. I bet you'd think about the gospel a whole lot more. I bet you'd have lots of opportunities to share the gospel with other people. <laughs> it's right here. There you go. First come, first serve. <clears throat> and if that one gets taken, Carolyn has a whole lot more of them at our house. <laughs> our garage is filled with them and lots of aquatic things. Yes. Okay, why don't you stand and let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ and the hope we have. Thank you that it wasn't just an act. It just wasn't just a symbol, but it's a person. And that we can look to the face of Jesus Christ and see love. I pray this morning for the depressed Christian. I pray that this message would be a catalyst for you to spark joy and hope in their hearts, Lord. Let them enjoy the hope that you have for them and give them the joy of being able to introduce others to Jesus. Help them to take the eye, their eyes off the waves, their eyes off their problems, and just revel in the joy of knowing that their sins are forgiven, their eternity is secure, they, they have hope for the future, and you're their loving Heavenly Father, God. Lord, for some, that balloon has gotten pretty big. And I, I pray that you would comfort them and strengthen them, encourage them through the pain and the suffering of this life. But Lord, help us, Lord, not to live for this life, but to keep an eternal perspective. Keep looking through the crosshairs. For the unsaved here this morning... I pray that you would lift the veil. I pray that you would do the miracle that only you can do so that these souls in darkness may see a great light, that they might taste and see that Jesus is good. I pray that you would speak over their soul this morning, let there be light. Oh Lord, what a joy it is to live the cross-centered life. It is a life full of hope, a fruitful life. 
There is no better place to be than in the service of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen.